0: Our in is Acts chapter 18, reading from verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to them the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Acacia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refused his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Chapter 19, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what happened? Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in that one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe, and public maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with them, and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Amen.
1: Let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's word. Father, thank you so much again for that reading that we had uh, a few moments ago. And we pray that you would please help us now by your spirit as we come to uh, to look at it together. Please would you help us, grow us, teach us, and would we not leave this place unchanged by it. Thank you so much for your truth now that we come to see together. Amen. Well, as a culture today, it seems to me that we hate truth. So for many, after after a century or more of dictators and holocausts and gulags, any overarching truth claim about the universe is automatically dismissed as oppressive. It must be. Don't tell me what to believe. Don't tell me how I fit in this world. Don't tell me what right or wrong are. That's just your perspective. Every group has, uh, has their own story that they can write for themselves. Anyone claiming that the truth applies, um, that one truth applies to everyone is oppressive, must be an oppressor. For many other people, the truth is just boring. We've all heard the phrase fake news, haven't we? The fact is that the only reason people get away with spreading false information, whether that's media outlets or politicians or whoever, is because fake news is often more entertaining than real news. It's often more attention-grabbing and shocking. It's often more what we click on. Uh, An old operations manager at Facebook, who, who left Facebook, said this. She said, we've created a system that biases towards false information. False information makes companies more money than truth. Because the truth is boring. That's what she said. And whether we like it or not, these attitudes affect all of us in one way or another, don't they? It's the air we breathe in culture. We wake up every morning and... And we 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 read the news through this kind of lens. We put on the TV or the radio and we hear the news through this kind of earpiece. Certainly this kind of of thinking has affected the church. Dr Kevin Van Hooser is a professor of systematic theology, and he tells the story of, of lecturing one day in Edinburgh. And and there he was, midway through a lecture, telling the, uh, explaining some part of theology and some overarching truth about God and his world and the way he interacts with it. And a student put a hand up and said, Professor, why are you oppressing us with this truth? Surely it's toxic, even dangerous to state that we can say with certainty what God's word says. Well, on the contrary, this morning what we're going to see together is is through this passage of of God's word that was so brilliantly read for us before is that truth really matters. Truth really matters. I even added the extra word really in since I sent this sermon title the other day Uh, just to give it that extra bit of punch. Truth really matters. The Apostle Paul certainly believed that, didn't he? Uh, Before our passage earlier in chapter 18 and verse 5, which I think you looked at last week, We find Paul there occupied with the word in Corinth. Despite facing opposition there, insults, threats, finally being dragged before a court, Paul stayed and he kept teaching from the Bible. He taught about Jesus because Paul knew that truth really matters. And after a period of ministry there in Greece, uh, he set sail across the Aegean Sea with his new friends, a faithful couple called Priscilla and Aquila, and they land in the city of Ephesus, which is where the events of our passage this morning take place. Ephesus is this huge city in the Roman Empire. It's an it's a important administrative, economic, and religious center on the west coast of what is now Turkey. But Paul didn't seem to spend very long there in the first instance before traveling on to visit and encourage other churches. But he leaves Priscilla and Aquila behind in Ephesus to minister there doing what Paul normally did I guess uh, attending the Jewish synagogue showing Jewish people that Jesus was the promised messiah of the Old Testament and hoping to win believers and this is where uh, we get, we get to our passage 18:24 this is where we meet a key character in our passage Apollos now imagine that you're Priscilla or Aquila in Ephesus beavering away in ministry in this synagogue and then one Sabbath day this new guy comes along, and you've not seen him before, and he gets up to speak like others do, but there's something different about this man. Because he's he's bold, and it's not long before that not, not long into his, his talk and his preaching that you realise that he is talking about Jesus. And Luke, who's writing this account, he gives us a really complimentary description of Apollos. He seems to go out of his way to give us a good impression of this man. Look at verses 24 and 25. Apollos writes, Luke, is a man competent in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. And that's maybe not too surprising because he says that he comes from Alexandria in Egypt, which was a key center of learning as well in In translation work in the Old Testament into Greek. So he's probably well educated. And he's been taught about Jesus as the Christ. So Apollos gets to Ephesus. And he's ready to teach people in the synagogue the same thing. He's a good communicator. He's full of fervor we're told. He's enthusiastic. He's keen to get on with it. And for his part Luke says he does so accurately. Truth really matters to Apollos. putting it all together Luke has built us quite a picture of this man but for all of his enthusiasm and accuracy insofar as he knows the faith there is a significant lacking in Apollos' understanding and teaching uh, when he first arrives do you see that little phrase there at the end of verse 25 he knew only the baptism of John now what does that mean so, about 25 years before Apollos arrived in Ephesus, a prophet had burst onto the scene in Jerusalem, uh, sorry, near Jerusalem, named John the Baptist. And in the earlier volume of Luke's book that he's writing, he tells us that John the Baptist preached a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Luke 3, verse 3. And he baptized people in the river Jordan as a way for them to repent to confess their sins and to turn away from it. But he also preached a message of good news. Listen carefully to what John said. I baptise you with water, but he who is mightier than me is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He was warning the people not to get complacent, but to get themselves ready for he who was to come. The promised Messiah, the promised saviour for the whole world, who would baptise people with the Holy Spirit. And of course then, Jesus Christ arrived. He was baptised by John, and he fulfilled all that John had promised and pointed to Jesus preached to the masses, he healed the sick, he walked on water, he died on a cross, he rose to life again and he ascended into heaven. And our friend Apollos in Ephesus, he, he knew at least some of this, it seems. Verse 25, he was instructed in the way of the Lord, in the way of Jesus. So he had been baptised in repentance, like those first followers of John the Baptist. And he had put his faith in Jesus as the one about whom John spoke. But Apollos, it seems, didn't know the full ministry of Jesus. Certainly he didn't have a firm grasp of what happened after Jesus ascended to heaven. So 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven, the apostles were gathered in the upper room during the festival when wumph! A violent wind, flames of fire, speaking in foreign languages to all who are present. The new covenant age had begun. The Holy Spirit had been sent from heaven to be with believers from that day forward. Every Christian here today and around the world is now not only baptised with water on the outside, but baptised by the Spirit on the inside, Our hearts are washed clean. And when God inaugurated his old covenant with his people, after freeing them from slavery in Egypt, the mountain there, Mount Sinai, it shook with fire and his word was given to them on stone tablets. Well, here a room shook with fire and God's word was written on our hearts. Truth really matters to God. We are changed from the inside out. We are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another by the Holy Spirit. That day of Pentecost changed everything for every one of God's people forever. But it seems that Apollos didn't know about that. He didn't have a clear understanding of this new covenant, this new way of life that Jesus had given Christians by the Spirit. Presumably no one had explained it to him yet. Apollos was a believer in Jesus. He was baptised. He had the Spirit. But his understanding was incomplete. You could say his thinking was kind of stuck in old covenant terms. Like someone had hit the button for him of pause during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now fortunately for Apollos and for the spread of the gospel who should be sitting there in the synagogue that day to hear him speak in Ephesus but Paul's friends and partners Priscilla and Aquila and we'll come back to them in a little bit but pretty soon Apollos would would move on to Greece in his ministry and I I want us to look at chapter 19 and what he left behind him I hope you're tracking with me so far it's a lot of comings and goings chapter 19 verse 1 look with me there Apollos goes uh, and sometime after that the the apostle Paul returns to Ephesus and he's going to minister in the city for a few years and when he arrives presumably overjoyed to be reunited with his friends he finds the group of disciples in the city that he's left behind has grown and there are some new new people around a dozen men it says in verse 7 now notice they're called disciples here Which in Luke's writing normally means they are believers in Jesus. But not quite always. And actually, as we can see here, appearances can sometimes be deceptive. That's certainly uh, the case here. Paul certainly suspects something is amiss with these guys. Because he asks them, verse 2, do you see that there? He asks them a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Which is a weird question, isn't it? For someone like Paul, who knows all about Pentecost and the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer. And he's written in multiple of his letters about his expectation and understanding that the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. The work of the Spirit is not an optional bolt-on to Christianity. You can't even come to Jesus in the first place without the work of the Spirit in your heart. That's what Paul writes himself. So it's an odd question And it's one that suggests that Paul has some doubts about these guys. Maybe the way they're acting or the way they're talking, we don't know. But regardless, Paul wants to discern what what these men really believe. Because for Paul, truth really matters. And they respond, no, we've not even heard about the Holy Spirit. Which, if they've read their Old Testaments, can't literally mean they've never heard that there is a Spirit. But they don't know the Spirit's new covenant arrival and work. So Paul asks them a second, even more pointed question. Into what then were you baptised? Paul is pressing them to uncover their spiritual state. Baptism, repentance, faith, receiving the Spirit in Paul's mind. These are all part and parcel of the same thing. But the men reply into John's baptism. And so Paul explains the good news in full that Jesus Christ was the one who fulfilled the preaching of John. And these men receive it. They are baptized by Paul, they receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, they receive the faith, they become Christians for the first time. Don't forget this is the Apostle Paul who, who wrote of one baptism in his letters. He would not baptize them for a second time if he didn't think that their first baptism wasn't really a Christian baptism at all. Which is actually a remarkable thing to, to pick out, isn't it? It'd be worth sitting on this for a minute. These men had been baptized with water in some sense. They thought of themselves as disciples, as believers. But they had never properly received the good news of Jesus. They had never believed the gospel. And as a result, they were not saved. Until Paul arrived in Ephesus and they heard the truth and the spirit brought them to life and they were forgiven for their sins. They, until then, they remained enemies of God. Do you see what had to happen? they had to hear the truth because truth really matters. Now for me, I think the implication here is that these men were probably followers of Apollos' teaching in the synagogue. It's all happening in the same place during the same time period and they have the same gap of understanding even more so than Apollos does. And in verse 1, Luke seems to hang the narrative together by pointing us to the fact that this is after Apollos left. Now I wouldn't go to the stake over it, (laughs) maybe it's just a coincidence, but if that interpretation is right then it's as if Luke is drawing a ring around this for us to say even more how much truth really matters. Because if these 12 men really were followers of Apollos' teaching in the synagogue it would mean that Apollos' gap in understanding Has actually made his teaching unfruitful Perhaps he's focused so much on On the work of John the Baptist That his hearers haven't really heard the gospel at all Who knows But regardless Here's the point from this narrative The blessings of salvation Won for us by Jesus Awakened in us by the work of the Spirit Cannot happen Unless the truth is proclaimed rightly. The truth really matters. It's as if the Holy Spirit has hung back here in effect from these 12 men until they hear the truth properly. Listen to these words of of Jesus in John 4 I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the good news for every Christian in the world today. Whether you have three theology degrees this morning or you became a Christian last week, or both, whether you suffer or or are persecuted for your faith, The spirit of truth is in you, forever, uniting you to Jesus Christ, like a marriage so that whatever is yours is now his, your sin and your shame and your death, his. Whatever is his is now yours, his righteousness, his sonship, his crown, now yours, Jesus Christ is the truth, and the Spirit of truth loves to bring blessing and fruit where the truth is accurately taught. But the flip side of that is that there can be no fruit of the Spirit. There can be no blessing. There can be no salvation where there is no truth. Those of us here today who would be teachers of God's people... I hope we're sitting upright in our seats a little bit at this holding our breath just a bit pastors elders home group leaders junior church or youth teachers one-to-one disciples, christianity explored hosts anybody we mustn't be timid or anxious in our ministry that's not my point but it's right isn't it to stop for a moment and to take this point to heart if you are to teach Will you study the truth seriously? Will you do the hard graft of understanding the scriptures? Understanding what God is saying to us? And will you commit yourself to that? Devote yourself to it? Maybe like Apollos, you simply feel a lack of understanding in some area. You'd love to teach with accuracy and confidence. But you just feel a lack. Well, devote yourself to sound doctrine. Get on to your leaders, your, your pastors. Ask for help. Ask for someone to teach you or answer your questions. I'm sure the leadership here would love nothing more than to help you grow in your understanding. Maybe you could even talk to them about finding some kind of formal training. Maybe it's that you find yourself uh, constantly pushed for time to prepare. Maybe you feel the temptation to cut corners in understanding the truth, and studying the truth well then you need to consider how you're going to use the time you have in your week to prioritise the right things in your week. Or perhaps your temptations are more towards cutting corners in what is palatable or popular to others. Shying back from saying what might upset uh, or cause conflict, circling around an issue in a conversation. That's certainly a temptation if you're living in a country where it's illegal to teach anything about Jesus at all. I was reading this week about uh, underground Christian communities in the Arabian Peninsula. In Saudi Arabia, for example, it's, um, there are no churches allowed, and in many other countries, it's, uh, church attendance is only permitted for foreigners. It's therefore extremely difficult and risky for anyone from a Muslim background there, say, who wants to explore Christianity. Local Christians can't just kind of set up a bookshop or put up uh, adverts or something on TV. And so the way that most people in the Arabian Peninsula find out about Jesus is via the internet. They search questions like, who is Jesus? Or, do Christians really believe in three gods? And you can imagine that a lot of the the web hits they find aren't necessarily all that helpful, especially they've been created by state media. So Open Doors have been creating uh, web resources in Arabic where people can find good answers And also, secretly connect with a Christian um, who lives near them to read the Bible with them and ask their questions. Now, why do all that? Why go to all that trouble? Why risk your neck meeting with someone who wants to find out about Jesus? Because whether you're a Christian living in a country of relative freedom, like we do, or a country where it's illegal to even talk about Jesus, it matters what we teach. It matters what people understand it's a serious business it's a matter of eternal life or death for people so teachers of God's people especially pastors, elders truth really matters so devote yourselves to to doctrine study it seriously but of course God's word this, this morning isn't just relevant is it for those people who teach what about everybody else What about the congregation of a church like Bankery Christian Fellowship on a Sunday? Well, let's go back to Apollos for a minute. Look back at chapter 18, verse 26. Let me read that again. Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. What does it look like for a congregation of God's people to grasp that truth really matters? Well, our role models are Priscilla and Aquila, aren't they? They see this enthusiastic but slightly raw preacher A man who is faithful by what he understands But is lacking in some important knowledge of the faith So that his message is hindered And they take him aside And they explain the truth more fully to him They help him to refine him and prepare him For even more fruitful ministry And then they, then they go and help Apollos with his next steps as well They go and uh, write to Corinth where they've come from They network for him to build up the church there through him. And Apollos goes on to have fruitful ministry there. In fact, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he writes about Apollos. He says, um, I planted the church, Apollos watered it. And all of this growth coming from faithful teaching and Priscilla and Aquila have played an important role in that. If you believe that truth really matters then just like that godly first-century couple, you will look for and expect sound teaching and you will do all that you can to promote it. Sound teachers need eager encouragers. Pancre Christian Fellowship, God has blessed you with faithful, truth-loving leaders. Will you be their cheerleaders? Will you encourage the truth eagerly at every turn? This works on a congregational level, not just seeing leaders as those you can get from, kind of wringing them out of their ministry, but seeking for them to grow and develop and flourish, for them to gain more and more understanding for everyone's benefit. It's great, for example, that as a church, you, you commit to playing your part in so many various ways in the, in the training a new generation of pastors. That's a sacrifice of resources, isn't it? just like Priscilla and Aquila sacrificed their time and their energy and presumably their hospitality to encourage and equip Apollos. But it's worth it because truth really matters. And this is key as as individuals uh, too. It's so key to being part of a godly church that stands on the truth. Will each of you be a Priscilla or an Aquila in this church family? Encourage the truth eagerly wherever you see it. In my ministry in my last church, there were a few people I could count on to keep encouraging me. One dear older sister in the faith, in particular, would always, every single time, come up to me. She'd uh, she'd find me after every time I preached. She'd put her arm around my shoulder, and she would tell me what part of the passage, or what part of the sermon, um, she most loved, or how it encouraged her, or challenged her this week. It's incredibly encouraging regular teaching ministry of any kind is hard it's it's a slog to pour your heart into studying and teaching the bible and praying for people that God's spirit would be at work in them through the truth so your leaders here just like Apollos need your eager encouragement I really want to be an Aquila in my church to be encouraging my pastors as they teach me either by speaking to them personally or texting them after the Sunday service if I can't truth really matters So hunger for it, expect it, most of all encourage it. Teachers study the truth seriously, congregations encourage the truth eagerly. Last point, all of us, all of us must hear the truth humbly. Apollos was a great speaker. He was competent, he was easy on the ear. He had everything that Luke describes going for him. And then this couple from Corinth come to him, and they begin to correct him, explain things to him that he doesn't understand yet. And he could have responded by saying, no thanks, I only need a couple of Greek tent makers telling me about truth. Don't you guys know that I come from Alexandria? That's where we translated the truth into Greek, thank you very much. But he didn't, did he? He heard the correction humbly. He heard truth humbly because he loved the truth more than he loved his own ego. And as a result, his ministry only grew in effectiveness. But now compare Apollos with with some of the others in the Ephesian synagogue we read about at the end of our passage. Uh, Chapter 19, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Verse 9, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, Paul withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. They didn't hear the truth humbly, they were stubborn, they were proud and they derided the truth publicly and so that Paul moved on to others who would hear the truth humbly the message of Christianity is offensive isn't it the truth the good news is that Jesus came to save us but save us from what from ourselves because we are not good people to the core of our being in fact, we are dark to our hearts. The biggest problems in the world are not government corruption or natural disasters or other people standing in the way of my happiness. The biggest problems in the world are, one, my sinful heart and your sinful heart that are fundamentally selfish and do not love and trust our creator and do not love properly the other people that he has created in his image and two god's judgment on our sinful hearts which is what both caused the death in this world and also lies the other side of death for each one of us sin and judgment that's offensive isn't it but it's also the truth And as Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Because it's only when you accept all of that that you can even receive a saviour. A saviour who died so that you can be forgiven. And he sent his spirit to live in your heart so that you might be changed, transformed. And so as we hear that, we have a choice, don't we? Either to hear the truth humbly or as Luke puts it, to become stubborn and continue in unbelief. And that's true the first time you hear the truth, but it's also true every time we hear the truth. So when our pastor brings a challenge in the sermon and the Holy Spirit prods us in our heart, when you finish leading a small group Bible study and a member of the group asks you a gentle, challenging question afterwards that hits you square between the eyes, When another Christian brings wise and loving correction to you over lunch or a coffee one day. I don't know about you, but I long to be an Apollos. I long to be the wise man in Proverbs 9, verse 9, which says, Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Will we be wise? Will we hear the truth humbly? be willing to change and grow and apologise to each other where needed or where we be stubborn and act out of unbelief in other words what really matters to us does truth really matter or does our ego friends there's so much to be encouraged by in this passage isn't there it is packed full of rich godly characters who love the truth who strive to teach it and spread it, who grapple with it and encourage and correct one another to grow in it because truth really matters the truth is not oppressive the truth is not boring truth is of God it is found in his loving and gracious word, written personally on our hearts by his spirit the spirit of truth for our blessing for our good for our joy and fruitfulness and flourishing Ultimately for salvation, it's life and death. So teachers, will you study the truth seriously? God's truth? Congregations, will you encourage the truth eagerly in those who God has provided to teach you? All of us, will we hear the truth humbly as is brought by his servants to us? Truth really matters. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us your truth. Thank you for Christ, your your words. Thank you for the spirit of truth who who has opened up the eyes of our hearts so that we can see him rightly, who has awakened in us a love of your truth. Father, this morning, would you humble each and every one of us here? Would you remove from us our, our pride and our stubbornness We love to be right. Would you make us lovers of truth more than our own rightness? Thank you so much that you have given us Christ's righteousness. Remind us of the gospel, Father. Remind us of who we are, both without Jesus and now with Jesus. And make us your humble servants. Father, would you please make the ministry of this church, my brothers and sisters, would you make this this church fruitful in ministry as they stand on the truth, as they hold to the truth? Would the truth go out of this place by your spirit with fruitfulness? In Jesus' name, amen.